assured that whatever we ask, you will do it for us. So we thank you, Lord, for healing Pastor Josephine, Tanya, Tom Fernando, for Stan Haywood and for his salvation, for Mac, for Miss Tony, for Howard, for Michael, Father. We thank you for healing them all. Thank you, Lord. Healing is bread for your children. Give them their daily dose of healing bread today. And we thank you and we bless you for that. Father, if anybody's watching us on the Internet, and stretch forth your hands, and we thank you, Lord, to heal them from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. We curse infirmity, sickness at the root. Everything the Father has not planted is rooted up right now in the authority of the name of Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, for healing them. Thank you, Lord, for restoring and transforming us. In Jesus' name, amen and praise God. Amen. So we want to say hi to all our friends on the Internet. Uh, I know uh, uh, Robbie is watching in India. And uh, who else? Somebody else. Oh, Miss Tony. Hi, Miss Tony. We sent you a prayer. Amen. So we just, oh, and Josh is, oh, our Josh. And he's not into football, see? Somebody, somebody said they was watching football instead. I said, shame on you. You can catch it. You can catch it later. So God don't mind if you don't know no better than to just watch football instead of listen to the word. But he'll bless you anyway. That's where you're at. That's where you're at. So just bless God and keep on trying. So what I say, amen. So praise God. So we're going to talk today about something I think is very interesting, and that's the stirring up of uh, the the uh, people of God through the prophets and to the, through the prophetesses. So we're going to continue talking about uh, some notable women in the Bible. We did Mary last month, uh, last week, and so we'll talk about Deborah and uh, and her role in in uh, the nation and the life of the nation of Israel. You know, when God wants to keep his people going, he has to raise up people to do that. And he raises up leaders, and he instructs them in what to do. And so we have people who uh, are called to do certain da- uh, tasks. So we'll see that Deborah uh, worked with a warrior by the name of Barak, and so or Barak. And so he was uh, there in, in Israel, and, and uh, God had called him to do some things. And so just like many people, he was unwilling to do it. Amen. And so God had to raise up somebody to stir him up to do these things. And I thank God for stirring people to do things, for his stirring. Because I think once God starts to stir people, he knows what's going to move all of us. And he knows what's going to help us get the job done. And so I think when God starts to stir people and he starts to move people, it's a good thing and a good sign. And so yesterday, uh, we, we shared some things at um, the empowerment meeting, and uh, we've, we got a, uh, a news, um, uh, news report about, remember back in the summer when uh, the uh, ISIS forces took over all those Christian towns, and they were running over things and all of that, and, and then, uh, you know, our government started to understand that you just can't leave people. You know, when you get involved, when you're committed, you have to be committed for the long haul. And I know when uh, President Bush was in office, that was his commitment to those people. He promised he was not going to leave those people uh, high and dry and defenseless. 
And so uh, they have been left defenseless. And then I got this notice. It says 600 Christian Kurds surrounded and encircled Sinjar Mountain in Iraq. It could be under full control by Christians. And uh, these women actually are the warriors who are taking these Christian cities back from ISIS. Amen. And so God stirs up whoever will obey him. Amen. He is no respecter of persons. There's neither male nor female in Christ. But when I saw this, I thought about Deborah. And I said, how important it is for that spirit to be in the hearts of people so that they can be stirred and moved to action. So that they can zero in on what God's doing and what he wants to have done. So that God, the work of the ministry will get done down here on the earth. So this excited me when I saw this because I thought to myself, you know, God is stirring the hearts of people. And it's not just, you know, uh, the lazy, cynical Christian, you know, that's always complaining and never really doing anything. But he's talking to everyday people. He's talking to people who are affected by these things because these people are seeing their nation torn apart. And unlike the, the uh, people in Syria who are leaving there and fleeing that nation, not being willing to stand and fight, I mean, come on, you got... You got something like 40,000, 50,000 people leaving. You need to stay and fight. You understand what I'm saying? You can do something. And so these, these uh, women are refusing to leave. They said some of them are nursing mothers. They left their babies behind because they feel that now is the time for war. And now is the time to fight. And now is the time to take it back. And so this is very different. And I, I was thinking about there's some things that, that – you know gets spoken that God puts people in these places to speak these things. And sometimes they are very simple truths, but there has been so much spoken against that particular truth that it almost sounds like foreign. You know, it sounds not right to people anymore. And I remember uh, uh, Dr. Ben Carson saying if he were, if he had been in that room where all those kids got killed, he said somebody should have fought back somebody should have stood up and fought back and then he made the comment about um, the people in the holocaust if they had had weapons and trust me they would have loved to have some they didn't have them though and so uh you know and how people need to learn just to simply defend yourself you still have a right to life and you have a right to to defend yourself and so these are simple truths, but, but, you know, people in this world have taken the essence of that truth away. So we don't have what we used to call common sense to understand. You know, nobody has to tell you to stand up and defend and fight for yourself. You should be able to do that on your own. But the world has gotten so passive and so indoctrinated against any kind of individual. You know, people nowadays would rather go to court and sue you and take everything than to just have a normal conversation and discussion with you. So they don't even want to discuss and exchange ideas anymore. Now it's all, oh, you did something wrong, I'm going to sue you, and you're a bad person. You know, we live in a world of accusation. And in the court of accusation, the only thing that will come in and change things is truth. And I'm telling you, people are hearing truth. Because God is releasing truth and God has folks, you know, I don't know if you, you are for Ben Carson or not, but anybody who has a voice 
And anybody who can speak for God is an important. It's important what they are saying. It doesn't matter about the final outcome. It doesn't matter if he wins an election. It doesn't matter how far he is in the polls. God has raised him up and given him a voice for a reason. And so, and then we don't judge people based on, well, you know, well, I know he wouldn't go win or I knew he wouldn't. We, that's, it's not about that. It's about what people say when they have that platform and they can speak on behalf of God. And so uh, we have to look at these things as important. It's important because when God gives you a platform and a voice, that word goes out to so many people that you can't reach otherwise. You see what I'm saying? That, that, that word that you speak goes out and it's heard. It, it, it's heard in heaven, earth, and under the earth. And it's heard in so many different realms where it can affect people, especially if it's truth. And so when we start the same thing with Donald Trump, you know, all he's doing is saying we've already got laws in place to take care of this stuff. Why aren't we, why aren't we uh, obeying our own laws? You understand? These are simple common sense things, statements that are being made. And when people hear them, it starts to stir up common sense in them. It's like, well, you know what? That's right. Why are we sitting here, you know, doing nothing until they come for us and kill us? You see? We have a right to defend ourselves. We have a right to have a peaceful nation. We have a right to have a nation where our borders are protected so that our citizens aren't robbed and murdered and fearful for their lives. And so these are things, that these are stirrings of God. Truth comes from God and it always comes to stir people to action. And so you will see people in the Bible People of influence who are there to stir people up so that they will get get moving and get going. So in uh, the book of Judges, chapter 4, we see the story of Deborah and Barak. And we see that, that Deborah is appointed by God to be a judge over Israel. Now the time of the judges was kind of a unique time because it was a time where there was, you know, the children of Israel have this history, just like people do. They serve God for a hot minute, and then they get involved in life, and then they, get, they drift off into serving other gods. And so this was a time where you'll see at the beginning of most of the, the judges' stories, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So everybody went their own way. Everybody did what they wanted to do. If they had a neighbor who was serving Baal, they built an altar to Baal and worshipped him and thanked him for stuff God gave them. Mm -hmm. So we have to be careful what we put before God and what we honor and what we lift up and what we admire. You have to be careful about that stuff. And so Israel was not careful about those things. And it says, verse for verse 1, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So, you know, this was a pattern with them. They would do evil, then they recognize that it must be because I'm not living right that trouble comes. And I think that's a good place to start. When you, when you get stuff out of whack in your life, examine yourself. You know, the Bible tells us to do that. What happened to that? You know, where we had an individual responsibility to God to live according to his laws and to please God. 
so that out of pleasing him, he could bless our lives. That's, you know, everybody's claiming blessings with no, you know, no obligation on their part to, to do the right thing. And so here we have Israel making that mistake over and over and over again. And then all of a sudden somebody will recognize that they're doing something wrong and cry out to God and he raises up a deliverer. Always does it. Amen. Always does it. God is faithful to keep his covenant. And so Deborah then is raised up. <clears throat> the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, the king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor. Now the Canaanites, they should have driven out of that land a long time ago. Remember, God said that you will go into this land to possess it and you must drive out all the inhabitants of the land. Or they will become thorns in your eyes. And every time you look around, they're going to cause you trouble if you don't deal with these people accordingly. And see, that was the way people were dealt with back in the day. They didn't have treaties and all this kind of stuff. You just conquered them and showed them you were stronger. And if God fought for you, you were always stronger than anybody. You weren't supposed to be subject to another power. You weren't supposed to be subject uh, to another king. You were only supposed to be subject to God. So when they were in the hands of somebody else, another tribe or another nation or another kingdom, you knew it was because they had been disobedient to God. It's, it's a given. And so they had sold him to uh, Jabin, the king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor. The captain of the host was Sisera, which dwelt in, in Harasheth of the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. For Sisera had 900 chariots of iron, and 20 years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah, so she had a tree named after her, so that people knew where to find her. Huh? <laughs> She's just chilling out there in the shade. Not in the desert in the hot sun. God gave her a, 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 a protected place. Deborah was a wife and a mother. So she had a full-time household job. Those of you who think you can't do two things at one time, you can't rub your head, you know. <laughs> you can do that, okay? You can do that in God. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You know, don't let your personal obligations or what you fear about personal obligations stand between you and what God has called you to do. Can't do it. Because we're all going to be able to make excuses for why we can't serve God. There's always going to be something that you think is in conflict with your service to God. Well, if he called you, he knows all about all your stuff. You know, most of that stuff he gave you. If you didn't steal it from somebody, he gave you. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, he gave you the things that you have, and he's glad to see you possess them. But he doesn't want that to become, a, a, a um, I guess, a comfort zone. We talked about it yesterday in uh, the Amos paradigm about what you're comfortable with. You have to part with certain things, and part with them is, is being attached to you. God does not like weighted down people. Amen. Amen. You know, with, with all these cares and anchors, and he can't do much with you if you've got all that baggage, you know. 
And so that's why he says, just cast your cares on me. I care about you, and I'll take care of you, but I need you to do something for me. You understand what I'm saying? We are here for more than just, you know, the, the ring, the picket fence, the, you know, the kids and the, the school and the, you know, the van and the baby car seats and, you know, all that stuff people think of as normal life. We're here as representatives of God's kingdom. This is, this is so true. When God calls you, he expects you to respond to him and answer him. This, he's not pleased with people who put it, put him on. And people say it like it's a joke or something cute or, oh, God's been dealing with me. You know, he called me to do it, honey. He ain't called you nothing. If your mama called you for dinner, you ain't going to wait 10 years to say to come to the dinner table. You understand what I'm saying? It's just stupid to carry on with things like that. But we do it anyway because we don't know any better sometimes. But if God has really called you, he expects you to respond. Amen. We'll have people come to, to a meeting and say, I, I got this woman <laughs> showed up at Rejoice Detroit. She showed us an ad for the meeting. And she said, I got this two years ago or three years ago. Three-year-old ad, now she's just not showing up. I'm about warfare. Um, I bet you are. <laughs> I bet you are. Huh? No, you about then got desperate because the devil's kicking your butt out there. That's what's happened. You don't have no choice now. But it does amaze me that people can think they're in the will of God and they will verbally tell you they put off obeying God for three years. Some people more. Hmm? But God is determined to find a people. When, when he starts to stir people up, sometimes he'll use the most unlikely people. I mean, very unlikely people. <laughs> and he doesn't want any excuses. He'll, he'll help you to, to do it. And, and I think the mercy of God is so wonderful. The help that he gives yes. us yes. to do what he needs, needs us to do. I was looking through a, a, a book I've, I've read several times. I'm reading it again because it just, you know, you just always want to go some of those uh, classic traditional things foundational things you like to keep laying the foundation again because I've always admired Sister Edder's ministry and that was in my heart many years ago you know the power of the Holy Spirit and all of that but she she was called when she was a teenager she said she was 13 years old and God spoke to her that she was called to the ministry and she she was in a denomination they didn't allow women to preach and, you know, what man won't let you do is you don't get any sympathy from God with that. Yeah. He's not going to, he don't want to hear your whining about, you know, what did I tell you to do? And she had a very tragic beginning. She got married uh, at a young age because that's what she was expected to do. And all of her children died. If they lived beyond infancy, they died later and she saw them all go to heaven. She saw them all be been taken by the Lord, and they all had enough, except for the infants, but they all had enough understanding of heaven if they were old enough to share with her what they were seeing, when they were going. One daughter told her exactly when she was going to go be with the Lord. And, and there was a lot of sickness there. Then her husband died, and she finally fell on her face and said, God, I'm just going to do whatever you want me to do. There's nothing left anymore. And she attributes her disobedience to the fact that she could not hold on to her family. Now, faith people 
will tell you she didn't know what she was talking about. But they don't have the power in their ministry she has. See, so they can't tell me she don't know what she's talking about. <laughs> I cherish her over you any day of the week. But me, myself, I, I take that to mean I better be faithful. See, I better do what he tells me to do. Because our life is hid in Christ with God. In him we live and move and have our being. That's what we say. And if that's true, then we can't do any living outside of him and his will for us. And see, that's so important now because now we have many self-called people into the ministry. And they want what they think are the perks of the pulpit. You see what I'm saying? They don't want the lifestyle. They don't want the responsibility. They don't want the prayer. They don't want the, you know, having to deal with whatever it is that you deal with to get started in ministry and, and all of that stuff. They don't want any of that. But they want, you know, the first class plane ticket. They want to be in so-and-so's meeting so he can lay hands on them and they can say they, they got under their ministry. You know what I'm saying? You know, people put some famous preacher's name on their resume or their Facebook page, and, and all they did was went to one of their meetings. You understand what I'm saying? But they, they want so, there's such, a, there's such a desire for something that people seem to be lacking anymore, which I believe is found in relationship with God. It's not found in some title or some people telling you how wonderful you are, or people dropping dead around you and wanting to be around you and all. It's not found there. And so you'll never be able to call yourself to relationship with God. You either know him or you don't. You either love him or you don't. You either care about him or you don't. You either want to serve him or you don't. The serve means you do whatever he tells you to do. Whatever he tells you to do. People don't want to be small. Everybody wants to blow up. Huh? But it was small that got me saved. I didn't get saved by somebody important. I got saved by an ordinary woman that loved God enough to want to share her testimony. And many of the people she shared it, when she was sharing it, they made fun of her. But she shared it anyway. When she got an open door to share her testimony, she just told people. And led many people to the Lord who, who turned out to be ministers. I mean legitimate ministers. You understand what I'm saying? When uh, Jerry went home with the Lord, there were a lot of preachers there saying that she testified to him, and, and that's how they got saved. You see what I'm saying? So it, it doesn't matter if God calls you to be big, wonderful. As long as he's using you, that's great. But I'm telling you, it's the people who are stirred up by God to do his will that he is looking. Those are the people that get the business of the kingdom done. See, they get the business of the kingdom done. And so Deborah was one of those people. She was, she was a judge, and she was a prophetess, <clears throat> and she was an ordinary wife and mother. And people came to her when they had issues that needed to be resolved according to God's law. So she was there as a representative to, for God, enforcing his law among his people. The word Deborah, uh, really the, the one of the words they use for it, you see the word bee, like bumblebee uh, it, or busy bee. But that word really means, her, her word, the essence of her name means to have a, scent, a sense of orderly motions. 
And bees are constantly being productive. So the essence of Deborah's life means someone who is called to be productive for God in a land where everybody pretty much is backslidden. Now talk about sticking out like a sore thumb and being one among a million. That's her. But she's there doing the will of God. She's there under no stress, no duress, blessed by God. I'm blessed by the best, no stress, I guess. <laughs> so she judged them. And she sat under the palm tree of David, Dave, Deborah. And it was between Ramah and Bethel so it, in Mount Ephraim. And so she lived in a place that was close to where Samuel had lived. And there was a school of the prophets there. So it's, it's likely that she managed the school of the prophets, was a wife and a mother in Israel, managed the school of the prophets, and stirred up Barak to do the will of God. Now many times when prophets give a word, they don't follow up on it to make sure that it's, it's followed through. You only do that at the command of God, or you only do that if you're committed fully to that word. The word that, that Barak had over his life was that he was supposed to lead an army against Sisera and overthrow them and liberate the people of Israel because it was time for their deliverance. Sometimes people get so accustomed to bondage, they don't believe deliverance is possible. And so they need somebody. They need a word from God. They need encouragement from God. They need strengthening from God. Because if God called you to do something, he's called you to do it and you alone. Nobody's going to be able to do it for you. And if the future of a nation depends on your obedience, God is going to raise up somebody to get you to obey. He'll do that. And so we don't think about living God's life that way. But I think as, as time grows shorter and shorter and closer to the end of the age that we're living in, we're going to see some of these things repeated in very extraordinary fashion. We're going to see God raise up voices <coughs> to get certain words out into the atmosphere, to project his thoughts into situations and get his ideas out there. And so whether you agree with them or not, you're going to see God raising up people for seasons, and they may stay in the forefront, and then after God's done with their message, then they they sit back and go back to normal life again. And so and so we'll judge people based on our carnal understanding of what we think their their success or failure is. But as far as God is concerned, sometimes that person's job is done. And they will sit down and leave the spotlight and he'll raise up the next person with the next message to stir up the people and lead people out of darkness. Our nation desperately needs to be led out of darkness. And so God is stirring up people now to desire to fight darkness and he's stirring up people now to desire to speak into the darkness no matter who cares about what ben carson has an advantage over most people he's retired he's, you know he doesn't have he's, he's his children are adults and doing well his wife is supportive of what he's doing so he has a clear open door to speak with common sense things of God. Yes. No thus saith the Lord. No doom and gloom on this nation if we don't do this or that. But he's just called to impart certain nuggets of truth 
out into the atmosphere to wake people up out of their darkness, out of their stupor. You know, people are always talking about political correctness, how wrong that is, and what are we going to do? They, they believe this and they believe that, and you can't convince them otherwise. God has an answer for all that. He has an answer for all that. Sometimes it's just simple people living a simple life who hear the voice of God telling them to stand up and speak up for him. And that's all it takes, folks. That's all it takes. And that's all it is with Deborah, even though she is a gifted woman and she is a prophetess. She's dwelling in this area that's not far from the school of the prophets. And so the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And that was on a regular basis. So if they had disputes with each other and they needed uh, some intervention, say with a property dispute or you know somebody wants a divorce or don't want a divorce or needs to take over family property, they would come to her. And she would speak as the oracles of God and carry out those instructions from God. But in verse 6, it looks like Deborah has some work to do that may not be uh, in line necessarily with what's going on normally in her life. So even though she has a ministry and all of that, there's something extraordinary now that God wants her to do. There are sometimes some things you do for God that just don't seem to fit in your normal routine of what you do for God. He'll call you to do things like that. He'll call anybody who can hear the voice of God to do these things and to speak on his behalf. The word Barak means lightning, gleam, or flashing sword. So you can see this brother is hardly living up to his potential. Amen. But in verse 6 it says, And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded you, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with you ten thousand men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun? And I will draw unto you, draw unto you to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into your hand. And so she speaks to him confirmation and repetition of what God's already spoken to him. And people are always talking about it's just a confirmation, you know. Uh, and this will show you why this is necessary to say this to people. Because if if... Say, for instance, the word of the Lord comes to you and you believe it and it settles on the inside of you. It seems familiar to you, but it's familiarity. You don't know if it's coming from you because you've got people living in you. Uh, your born-again man understands the word made in the image of the Spirit of Christ. You've got the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. So you get this sense of this word is okay. I believe this. And, and then people will say, oh, yeah, well, God, that's just a confirmation. Well, what it is is that you are finally getting that message to where you can understand it. Because information comes, revelation comes to us sometimes in fragments, in increments, and in packages. 
And what you have on the inside of you probably is a little jigsaw puzzle of pieces of information that God has spoken to you, prayers that you prayed, dreams that you want to carry out in your life, all of these things. And when the word of the Lord comes to you, it puts it together so you know it's God, you know it's for you, and it makes sense to you. Does that make sense to you? It's never going to come to you without the inner witness if it's God. So the Holy Spirit has to put that together on the inside of you. And what God is doing is he's forming this message in on the inside of you now so that you can know what it is. You can respond to it and respect it, whereas before it was just fragments. Because if you knew that and it's a confirmation, why are not you walking in it? Why aren't you praying it every day? And so then when we get the prophecy, that's when we start to pray it. That's when we start to acknowledge it. That's when we start. You see, that's when it comes to life. These things have to be brought to life inside of us. Don't ever treat the prophecy of God like it's a second-rate information to you. Don't, the Bible says despise not prophesying. Why? Because God knows you will if he don't tell you not to. Prophets will tell you the same thing over and over again. Why? Because you didn't obey it the last time it was told to you. Now you prophecy shopping. Hmm? You got a word from God. You thought it was going to put you on easy street for the rest of your life. Now you didn't got derailed on a side street and you're back in the prophet's face again looking for a new word. You ain't worked 100% the last word you got. Huh? I mean, many times we just get the skim of it. And we run off with joy, and it works for a season. And this is, this is the thing we need to zero into. Why does it quit working for me? You ever ask yourself that question? Gee, God, I got that word, and it worked for me for a while. Now it's stopped. Why does it stop working for me? That's a good question to ask. stops working because we quit believing it quit working it we're so short in our ability to keep a routine together that's productive for us because we like everything exciting you know if it's exciting you don't have to figure nothing out you don't have to understand you don't have to have have behaviors and attitudes in your life that are person you know for that are purposeful you know that you do these things on purpose and you don't fail to do them See, when we quit doing what brought that in for us, Amen. then that's when the prophecy quits working, and then we wonder, how, why did it quit working? Let me go get another one. See, I've used this one up. Let me go get another one. Huh? And so we have to understand if there's a lifestyle. And, you know, a good thing to ask God is, God, what do I have to do? Is there something that I can do? To please you, that if I do it consistently, it's going to bring consistent blessing in my life. Huh? And that's a good question to ask. Is there an attitude of my heart that if I would cultivate that more, love people more, give people more, be willing to give, be willing to share when you have, be willing to, oh, this is so easy. But see, we run off with that and we get the cream off of. The prophecy, then down the road you got to plow a little bit deeper to get it to work a little bit more for you. We don't like that. We like everything easy. We don't like to plow. 
And Barack is the kind of guy that likes everything easy. See what I'm saying? He, God's already spoken to him what to do. She said, has, has not God told you this? Hmm? And so she reminds him of his instructions from the Lord that he's called as a deliverer in Israel. Just like all of the ones that were called during the times of the judges. If you look at Gideon, all he wants to do is get enough barley to eat for another day. And God tells, tells an angel to tell him he's a mighty man of valor. And you can not only eat yourself for another day, but I want you to make it possible for all of these people to eat. Huh? When you're thinking about yourself only, you don't think about making it possible for others. You know, number one, oftentimes we're too selfish to want to do it. We, we have our own interests so much at the top of our list. We, I'd be doing good just to get bread on my table. I don't know about feeding a whole Cleveland, you know, a whole city or feeding the homeless or anybody like that. I'm, I'm barely doing enough to get my own bread on my table. And the simple truth is, you know, if you make a phone call, send a letter, you'll find out there's plenty of bread. And once a month, God asks you to go distribute it to people. And, once a, and, and you fed almost, you know, you fed close to your whole neighborhood just with one of these things if you just do it as unto the Lord. You understand me? See, this is how you, you, you get great. This is how you, you, you know, you're more than what you think you are. By doing the simple things but the necessary things that will feed into the will of God for other people besides yourself. We are so called to affect and influence large numbers of people. Large numbers of people. It, it doesn't matter what you do for God. If you do it as unto the Lord, it's a great thing as far as God's concerned. You ask some of those people that didn't have food, and all of a sudden when you show up at their door, they, they have it if that's not a great thing or if that's not a miracle. And, and some of the ones who are too, uh, too angry to tell you that they appreciate it, they still appreciate it. And you just continue to obey God. You don't do things because people appreciate it. You do it because it's the right thing to do. And so Barak is, is reluctant. In fact, he's scared. And whenever people are disobedient, they'll fall into this mentality, this Jezebel and Ahab and, and Pharaoh mentality. And so you see Barak has this Ahab mentality over him. He doesn't want to get out there and do it. He doesn't want to. He's trying to be, you know, anonymous, invisible, kind of like Saul was when he was first called. Moses was reluctant. But Moses' heart was toward God. He had the heart. He knew in his heart that his people were living below where God wanted them to live. As long as you understand in your heart the will of God and you're willing to, to hold that in your heart, you're not turning cold on people, in other words. And so he keeps holding Moses, held that in his heart for 40 years. You know, and at, at the age of 80, God finally calls him, and he's still reluctant. But because of what's in his heart to deliver people, that wins out over his fleshly reluctance to do things. Amen. See, what's in your heart is very important. That's why the Bible tells you to guard it with all diligence. 
make sure, uh-uh, I'm not letting that, I don't want that in there. Don't, oh, no, I'm not going there with nobody. You ain't fighting with me today. I don't have to talk back to you at all, you know. And so I'm, nope, we ain't going there. And so with what, what you guard in your heart, when you guard it, you not only guard your attitude to be right, but you guard vision. You guard your future. There's so much in there that's precious and speaks to your well-being and your future that, you know, you can, you can pass up gossiping about somebody. You can pass up dropping some negative comment about You can pass that up because what you're guarding in here is so much more precious to that. And then when God begins to use you, you've got the, the life of other people. You've got the salvation of other individuals in your heart. You're guarding that as well. So it's not like you just, you know, I'm, I'm not going to gossip this one time, but tell me next week you get me and tell me. You know what I'm saying. You, you, you walk in a position where you defend your, your heart against any errant seed coming in there that can pull you off in the wrong direction. You know, we we subject ourselves sometimes to things that not only affect our attitudes, but can pull your future off in the wrong direction. It'll pull you over into a different realm as far as your associations are concerned. Uh, the time and how you spend your money and all those things are concerned. It will pull you off into there. If you You know, you can't compromise with that. You have to defend that. Uh, because there's something precious in there to defend. That's your life. And that's the life of other people that God has entrusted you to intercede for. That's your future. You know, I can remember uh, hearing a testimony. There was a woman, a prophetess, that gave a testimony about a woman that had, uh, she was, um, she said she had a really good job. And this person lived in the Washington, D.C. area. There are a lot of rich people down there. We paying them. They working for the government. Huh? And so this woman had a, a really, really good job. And her joy, get this, her joy was to give to ministries so that she could see the work of the Lord continue. Good Christian. She got involved with some people, and this is the thing. Because she was aware of so many different ministries and stuff, She, in a giving sense, she got involved with some people who started to prophesy to her. And they convinced her that God told her to start a church. And that church had to grow to a certain size within a certain period of time. And if it didn't get to that size, she would die a very horrible death. Well, this lady started a church. It didn't grow to that size in that length of time. And she got sick and she died. All because she didn't guard her heart. Because them kind of words know how to find you. I'm going to say it again. Them kind of words know how to find you. If you're walking in a place, you know, maybe she looked at people in ministry and, and admired them so much she longed for that a little too long. That word will find you. You know, I'll sit up and watch preachers on television. I say, how did they get it? You know, and I say, I say it about secular people. I still don't know how Greta Van Susteren got a job on television. Y'all explain that to me. 
her daddy must own something or got something on somebody because she ain't got no business on there. Telling the truth now. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. When you start feeling a little covetous or something like that, you know, those kind of, if you don't, oh, God, oh, forgive me, God, but take that out of me. I don't want to start, I don't want to start dwelling on that, nursing that thing here, you know. <laughs> Too much at stake for me to go, go stupid all of a sudden. See, that's guarding your heart. You know what you think and you know what you feel. You're the best person to judge it and get it out there before it works against you. But it, it, it's it's painful to watch things like that happen to people who who are basically good people but make a mistake that they don't correct in the throne room before God. You understand what I'm saying? Just come clean with God. Let that let let that work for you. And stand up to the plate when he gives you something to do. Amen. Uh, no matter small or big, it's it's big in God. If he tells you to do something, it's just as big as somebody else that he's giving something to do. And so she tells Barak, she says, <clears throat> all that God has told her, she tells him, if you will get out there and lead these people, then God is going to, to give this man over into your hand. And the same person that's got us captive, got this whole nation captive now, is going to be under our feet. And will be defeated if you'll just get up and do what God told you to do. God's promised you success. He's not setting you up for failure. The little bit that you have, if you put it in his hands, you're not risking anything. The only thing that's at risk is it won't stay small. It'll grow if you give it to him. And so he calls him and says here, and she said, and Barak said to her, if you will go with me, then I'll go. Now, she got babies at home, she got a husband at home, and he's begging her to go into war with him. See, when you walk away from God, you're almost not who you are anymore. You lose your identity so quickly in disobedience. And he had walked, he and the rest of the nation of Israel had walked in disobedience for so long, he's not even a man anymore. He's hiding behind a woman. Well, if you go with me, then I'll go. You know, she don't have armor on. She's not a trained warrior. Why would he put himself into the hands of somebody who's not even a warrior and can't even fight? Any shield will do. When you're scared, any shield will do. You pick up anything to... You understand what I'm saying? That's, just, that's what they do. The terrorists, they'll get somebody, a little kid, and put them up so they don't get shot. When you're scared... Of your enemy, you'll use any shield that you think is available. And so she tells him, she calls his bluff. He's, he's probably smart-mouthing her. It's easy for you to say, Deborah, you're sitting up here, big high prophetess of the most high God, giving words to everybody, getting money for it. Look at them gifts. They just bring you gifts all day long. I'm just working in the hot sweat and barely making it. Oh. That's easy for you to say. You got everything. Hmm? You got money. You got this. You got that. He didn't expect her to take him up on it. He's putting her off. And she said this, verse 9, I'll surely go with you. Huh? I ain't scared of them people. Huh? (laughs) 
He said, because I know the end of the story. I know what the word of the Lord says. He had already told you he's going to get his people into your hand. What am I afraid for? I'll show you. I'll show you what manhood is all about. Boy. (laughs) You boy. (laughs) And she said, she said, I will surely go with you, notwithstanding the journey that you're taking will not be for your honor. So that name in the nation of Israel was always understood to be a dishonorable name. Amen. In their history, that name Barak, even though he was a shining sword, he, had the, he, he went down in history in dishonor. Because he hid behind a woman instead of going out into battle and trusting God. And so it says, she said, that, that journey that you take will not be for your honor. For the Lord shall sell Sisera into into the hand of a woman. And Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Now in my mind, I'm thinking, he must think she's talking about herself. So he's thinking to himself, I'm just going along for the ride. Because if if I'm not going to be the one to kill him, she's the one who's going to kill him. I'm just going to go watch the show. You see what I'm saying? You see how when, and this is true of this nation in a sense, when you begin to compromise the word of God and compromise with the devil, you lose a sense of your own abilities to fight. You don't care who does the fighting for you as long as you can live another day and keep up the status quo, eat another meal, play with your kids another day, whatever, whatever. You're willing to go along with the ride and let somebody else to do the work for you. He doesn't care if he doesn't get any kind of honor for it. He's not planning to do anything anyway. He's just along for the ride. And so she tells him that you're not going to get any honor for this. God is going to let a woman kill this person. So he's imagining Deborah's out there wielding the sword and killing somebody. He's just standing there watching. Got me? And so this is how you lose a sense of your own ability to fight if you constantly compromise with the enemy. We've got people in this nation now, we've got what I call legal kill zones because there's no weapons allowed here, no guns allowed on campus, all this gun control stuff now, and they're finally seeing that they're defenseless and that people who are crackpots and just want to get on TV or depressed and want and angry and want to kill somebody will go into these places where guns aren't allowed because they're the only ones with them. And the people will stand there and allow themselves to be murdered instead of mounting up some kind of defense against them. They just all stand there and take a bullet. Why? Because they've been sensitized that you don't fight back. There's nothing you can do. You don't render people powerless because God has given us power in him. We have power against all evil. And even if you're not, quote, unquote, a Christian, if you know that something's unjust, you can cry out to God. And he'll hear people. And he'll come and save and rescue them. But this business of taking away from you your sense of your own desire to live, Your own desire to defend your life, your own desire to defend your family is not normal. This is wrong. And so this is where Barak was. This is where he was in in his life. He didn't care who fought the enemy as long as he didn't do it. It it was fine with him. So he didn't care if a woman fought in his place. 
And so she was able, Deborah then was able to bring the word of the Lord to him and challenged him and actually rebuked him for his unbelief. And she judged him. She did her full job. She said, you're going to go, but you're gonna not going to get anything for going. God's going to deliver these people anyway. I don't, I don't know why he just don't leave you here, but you're going anyway, Brock. Okay, you're going to see it happen anyhow. And so it says she went, um, in verse 10, And Barak caused Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh and went up with 10,000 men at his feet. And Deborah went up with him. So <coughs> he's seeing this prophecy coming to pass. At first, he didn't want to go. He was just going to pass on this and hope God raised up somebody else. But God wouldn't let him off the hook. There are some things God does through you and for you just to keep his word to you. Because God can't deny himself. If he tells you something is going to happen, it's going to happen. And even if you're sitting there and you're just watching everything go by, you know that God told you the truth when he said that. So God has, you know, sometimes you'll say, well, why don't God raise up somebody else? He will if he needs to, but he can't deny himself in this situation. He's going to prove to this man that I called you to do this work, and I'm the one doing the fighting. All you have to do is obey me, and I do everything. I do all the work. See, there's nothing to fear when you serve God. He does everything. He does everything. We don't have to worry about... Uh, homosexuals taking over the church or anybody taking over things or any of it. As long as you're obeying and serving God, he does the fighting for you. You know, I was thinking about this with with, um, some of the wars that are going on. You know, evil is just everywhere, breaking out everywhere, killing people, all those students that were killed. Where was it in Kenya yesterday and, and in Paris and all of this stuff? And in, in, I think about the days when in, in the book of Genesis and some of the early, with, with the way God worked with the early patriarchs and so forth, where he would rain fire down from heaven. We don't see that again, folks. You understand what I'm saying? Why would God not do that if he had to do it? If, if we cry out to him and we expect God to deliver us, why would he not rain fire down from heaven against our enemies? It's not like those days are over. We serve the same God and it's the same wicked people in the earth doing then the same wicked things. You know, people always talk about, uh, you know, hating on homosexuals and hating this and hating that and all of that. Well, God hates sin and he's not going to let it just take over. It'll take over a, a country or a nation. Look at Sodom and Gomorrah. They were dedicated to unrighteousness and sin. And they went down in history as as cities that were destroyed because of their sexual immorality. People want to live. They don't want to die with the sinners. Are you kidding me? I don't want to be taken out. I live righteous for God. I'm not going to be in a city and get taken out because everybody there is sinful. I'm going to speak up for God. And if 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 I'm the only light in the whole city, I'm going to be that light. I'm not going down with them, keeping silent and, and just go down with the ship with them. I don't care about all of that. Uh-uh. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Not going to marry no same-sex people. Not going to do it. And take me to jail. 
Huh? I'm serious. They'll take away your tax exempt. I don't care. You know what? Preachers gonna preach if the, if y'all if it's many or few, we gonna preach anyway. I preach to the wallpaper till Jesus comes. I know you let heaven and earth record this day. I preached to an empty room and the wallpaper heard me and the rug heard me and the light fixtures heard me. Play around. I've lived for God too long to quit now. You understand? I get too much invested in the right way to turn around and get stupid. Nonsense. It all belongs to God anyway. Well, they'll sue you and take your stuff. I don't have no stuff if God don't keep it for me. This ain't my stuff. <laughs> I didn't have nothing when I came in this world. And it's going out the same way. You understand me? Leave everything here. Y'all don't throw me in that casket with my rings and stuff on, y'all. Come on now. I'm giving them away long before. Throw grave robbers at the funeral home, take all that stuff. I'd rather have y'all rob me. <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Come on now. This stuff is nothing. Your eternal soul is worth more than anything that God puts in your possession. And anything you don't get in your possession. So they went in and he called the two tribes, Zebulun and Naphtali. You know why? Nobody else was willing to fight. So they get judged too in the next chapter. And it says here, <clears throat> they went up with 10,000 men at his feet, and Deborah went up with him. Now Heber the Kenite, which was of the children of Hobab, the, father, the father-in-law of Moses. So you know these weren't born Israelite people. They were converts, proselytes. You know, they just come along in the family, circumcised, you're in had severed himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent in the plain. Now, he, he pitched his tent there for a reason. It was God had him pitch his tent there. Amen. He was far away from the rest of the people in that tribe. It was off in a kind of a lone place. And he, that's where he lived. And they showed Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinuam, was gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera gathered together all his chariots, even 900 chariots of iron, all the people that were all, all, all. You see those words, all? When the devil has no, he has no power, he gets as many people, as many idiots as he can to join the fight. So he takes everybody with him. The less power people have, the more people they need to pat them on the back and tell them how wonderful they are. And so Deborah said to Barak, for this, for this day, this for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Says it as it's already done. You see what I'm saying? God's already delivered this man to you. You've been sitting around scared for nothing, Barack. What you going to do? And he says, is not the Lord gone out before you? In other words, she's still trying to get this guy stirred up. So he can accomplish something for God. It's amazing to me sometimes the length that prophets, ministers, pastors will go to to get people to see the light. Yeah. 
Huh? Telling you over and over and over again. Keep praying for you. Keep encouraging you. Keep pressing that word on the inside of you. And so he says, and she said to him, this is the day the Lord's delivered him into your hand. Is not the Lord gone out before you? Can't you get stirred up, Barak? Can't you get excited about this? Can't you put a little faith forward? So he went down from the mount, from Mount Tabor, and 10,000 men after him. Because before that, he was stuck there on the top of the hill. Hmm? Already out there in the battlefield and scared to approach the enemy. You've got to engage somebody to defeat them. It's like Israel when they were when Goliath was out there taunting them. They're on this side, the Philistines on that side. Nobody's engaging anybody until David gets a slingshot and runs after him, shows everybody when God's with you, you don't need much. And the Lord discomfited Sisera and all his chariots and all his hosts. God only needs a person to stand up for him. He'll do the rest of it. If he has a mouthpiece, he'll do the rest of the work. And all his hosts with the edge of the sword before Barak so that Sisera lighted down off his chariot and fled away on his feet. You notice your boy Barak ain't lifted a sword and, and stabbed nobody. Huh? He running out. He's the leader of the troop. Let the troops go by. Y'all go right on up there. Deborah, you out there? Yes, yes. You follow Miss Deborah right on up to the battlefield. So the men were left there fighting, but Barak pursued after the chariots and after the host unto the land of the Gentiles. And all the host of Sisera fell upon the edge of the sword, and there was not one man left. So he never had to lift his hand and fight anybody. Sometimes to obey God, all you have to do is show up, and God does the rest of it. Huh? That's happened to me many times. I'll go places God wants me to go and not know that I'm going to see somebody there that needs to be ministered to. And so God will step in there, and he does everything. All he wants is one of his representatives to show up so he can get to going. And he says not one man was left of the enemy. When God defeats something, he does it totally. He don't leave anybody left to tell the story. Howbeit Sisera fled away on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, the guy who pitched his tent far away from the other people, was there for a reason. Sometimes, you know, you may not like where you live, the house you're in, but God has you there for a reason. If you don't move, you're there for a reason. And he says, <clears throat> he fled away in, to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, for there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. So this wasn't a hostile place for him to go. It was, it was a place where the enemy felt comfortable, and God knew that he would go there. And Jael went out to meet Cicero and said to him, Turn in here, my lord. Turn in to me. Don't be afraid. And when he had turned in unto her into the tent, she covered him with a mantle or with a rug so as to help him to hide from the people who were pursuing him. That's, that's the, uh, the idea she wanted to give him. And he said to her, give me, I pray, a little water to drink and I, because I'm thirsty. And she opened a, a skin of milk. You know, they kept them in the skins of animals at that time. 
and poured it out and gave it to him to drink and covered him up again. And again he said, Stand in the door of the tent, and it shall be when any man does come, come and, and inquire of you, say and say, Is there any man here? You will say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a nail from, you know, one of those nails that you hold the end of your tent with. Not a little, but a nail nail. And took the nail of the tent and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and smote him the nails to his temples and fastened it to the ground. And he, because he was fast asleep and weary, so he died. And behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said to him, Come in, and I will show you the man that you're looking for. And when he came into her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead. The nail was in his temples. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed him from that land. And so God only wants Barak there to obey his word and follow. This is more of, to me, it's more of a mockery of Barak thinking all of this. Oh, I'm so important. I'm going to die if I go into battle. I've got to preserve myself. I can't go in there. He's getting women to go for him and front for him and all that kind of stuff. And so all of a sudden God shows up and does everything without him lifting a finger just to show him that God intended to do it all along and it won't cost you anything to obey me. It doesn't cost us anything to obey God. Do you understand me? There are people in prison because of the gospel and we think, oh, that's so horrible. But think of the prison that we live in sometimes. See what I'm saying? You can't say certain things to certain people. At least those people have got in there because they opened their mouth and led somebody to the Lord and did God's will. And so we have to understand that God has a way of getting his people free. He has a way of getting his point across. This woman is a picture of, uh, you know, and you see these in the Old Testament a lot. These are, are types and shadows of things that are promised in the Bible. In Genesis 3, it says, it tells Eve, God told Adam and Eve that you'll have a son. And he will crush the devil's head. So this is a type of Christ that the nail that she used to, you know, people say, well, that's a stupid way to kill somebody. Why would she stand there and hammer? And why would he let her? He had no choice. He was defeated. You understand what I'm saying? And so it's a type of Christ, the nails that were put in Christ at the cross, crushing the head of Satan. So Satan's double and triple dead because we've seen him die so many times throughout the history of Israel that we should have by the time we get to, to the real essence of Christ living in us, we should be no longer fearful of anything because we've seen him die in the Bible so many times. She crushed his head with the nails, same nails, symbolic of the nails that held Jesus to the cross. He crushed the devil's head with that. And so here a woman, which she and she represents the church, that we get the, the honor of carrying out God's written judgments. It's already written the devil is defeated. It's already written that he's no good and he has no power. He's been dethroned. 
And so then Deborah goes on and and they get their victory and and he's defeated. Sisera is defeated. And so she says, let me see, where are we? Still in chapter 4. Behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, verse 22, Jael came to meet him and said, Come, I will show you the man that you seek. And when he came to her tent, behold, Sisera lay dead and the nail was in his temple. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed until they had destroyed everybody and Jabin, the king of Canaan. And Deborah and Barak sang a song of praise to the Lord for avenging Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. So the children of Naphtali... And who was the other one? Let me see. Zebulun and Naphtali. They were the only ones who went up. So Deborah sings a song of praise to God for them, and she exalts them. But the other tribes of Israel, she judges them. They were too busy. They didn't care. And these are all the people that could do something to help God's people. There are people all over the world who can do something to stop ISIS, but they're either too busy, they don't want to do it, they feel personally threatened if they do it, and then there are some people that God will raise up to do things who are very unlikely, like Jael, this, this housewife who's just at home by herself in the tent, but she understands how to hear from God. She's a wise woman, and she's spending her time there understanding that God may have something for her to do, and she's willing to risk her life and security to do it. Suppose that man had risen up and fought her back and taken that hammer and beat her with it. But she wasn't afraid of that. She knew that what she was doing was in the will of God, and she knew that this enemy needed to be defeated, and so she stood up and did what she could do. And it was effective because God was with her. I'm telling you, we're going to need to know more that God is with us, folks. You can't go out here just wanting stuff and not being sure. But you've got to know that God is with you. He fights with you. He fights for you. It's so scared. Barack, he didn't have to do nothing. He's just along for the ride. He got him a chariot ride that day in a, a 3D show. You know, in high definition, he got to see everything up close and personal and never lifted a hand against the enemy. It's amazing what God will do if people just stand up and obey him. His life was never in danger. God had to show him something. He had to show him something. Sometimes we go through things just because God has to prove his word is true to us. His word is true. And if we doubt his word, or if we start playing around with the devil and thinking compromise thoughts or something like that, God has to show up and prove his word to us over and over and over again. And so when when they were done with, with their war, they sang a song, and they sang a song of deliverance and a song of praise. And all of the different nations of Israel <coughs> that were not involved in the fighting got a rebuke from Deborah. They were told that they didn't come to the fight. They didn't take up arms. Zebulun and Naphtali were not really what we call uh, skillful fighters in Israel. In fact, Naphtali was, was more orators and they were more verbal people. You know, bookworms. If God can get bookworms motivated to get up and fight, he can get anybody moved. Do you understand what I'm saying? 
And so he's showing Barak how silly he's being in refusing and being fearful. And, being, and we need to look at that for us. How silly we are sometimes to be fearful about ISIS and all these people and all this nonsense. And how this nation has gotten so to the place of passivity that they, they will uh, uh, take each other to court because we speak up to fight for ourselves. Yeah, I don't care how bad it gets and how pushy people get. I'm still going to speak up and fight for myself. You understand what I'm saying? I'm still going to speak for God. Still going to speak for people who need to be set free from the oppression of the devil. Deborah did what she did. She was a servant of the people. She was there to serve the people of God. There was no self-interest in anything that she did whatsoever. She was there to obey God. She was there to give her life if she needed to for God. And anytime you give something up to God, he will give it right back to you in better condition. Amen. And strengthen. So she went home that night knowing that God fought for his people that he wanted the nation of Israel out of bondage. He's always for that nation. She probably saw prayers and prophecies of her own come to pass for her nation, for her people. You got to care about people. You got to care about where you live. You got to care about your city. You have to care about your country. We, we have to care about all of these things and care enough to go beyond mere words and a Facebook post, you know, on Veterans Day or, you know, whatever you do. And that's all good. But you need to carry that love for your country in your heart every day. You know, don't get in the corner with the naysayers, you know, and, and all the cops, they just bad cops. No, they're doing their job. And listen, if I, I'll trust a cop over a thug any day of the week. Don't send no thugs to my house. I get in trouble I want to show enough police I don't want no impersonators but we have to we have to really get back our sensibilities because the world now is being run by words see we're in a war of words and we know it more now than we've ever known it lies innuendo you know they can destroy a person's life and reputation with one wrong word just said at the right time to the right people and you get enough people to believe it, you can destroy people. And that's what the world does. They lift you up and they put you down. But God's the only one who's going to be consistent with us, who's going to bless us continually. We're going to have to stand up for God, folks. And I mean really stand up. I'm not talking about these little conversations you might have on Facebook with somebody. You know, and if they're, they're talking, yuck, you need to sit God on them. You know? They'll shut up. You see a lot of times people writing all kinds of things and, you know, they ought to do this and ought to do that. And then when God shows up, you don't hear nothing more from him. You understand what I'm saying? He knows how to shut people up. But see, if we'll stand for God and do the thing that, that is reasonable to do, you know, God will fight for us. He wants us to win. We are his people. We have his life in us. He's here to preserve that life. He's not going to let us go down with the sinners. Are you kidding me? As long as you're on God's side, now don't let God catch you somewhere you ain't supposed to be. You know what I'm saying. <coughs> remember Lot's wife, the lesbian. Y'all remember her? Huh? That's, what he, that's, why, that's why Jesus put that in there. He said, remember her? Yeah, don't do that. 
Uh huh. When I lead you out of somewhere, you keep your eyeballs straight ahead and keep walking. You ain't leaving nothing you love behind. We have to be that way, like an army. I don't care if you've never been in the army, you know what it's like because you work for God. Anybody who really works for God knows what the military is like. You know, you don't take any nonsense. You don't waver. You don't argue back with God. You don't argue back with authority and his ministers and people like that. You learn how to let God handle things and how to let him solve situations. You don't need all of that. But I'm telling you, we're entering into a time now in the earth, folks, when people are going to have to stand for what they believe because it's very crucial. It can mean the difference between your future success and going down a wrong road that it may take you a while to come back from. Don't compromise with the devil. I don't care where you see him or what you see him doing. You call it out. You call a lie a lie. You call sin sin. You call goodness goodness. And you call God God and the devil the devil. And just make sure you understand where each of them fit and you stay on the right side. Amen. Because this is nonsense. I was watching somebody had an old clip of Joel Osteen, and it was like being in a pit of snakes. All these news people interviewing him. I wouldn't get in people the time of day. I said, you want to interview me for what? You want to get saved? If you want to get saved, come on, I'll talk to you. But I don't have nothing to say to you. See, we need to get back to what we're here for. You're not here to be interviewed by somebody like you. The Bible says to preach the gospel, not interview the gospel. They find out there's something they got you want, they'll treat you like dirt on national television and make you eat your words. Sitting up there questioning him. Well, you, you, you said... And he's up there, you know, nervous, defending himself. I said, who's on the Lord's side? Huh? Come over here with me and I'll talk to you. I ain't talking to you snakes and vipers. Casting your pearls before swine. That's the first thing you, that's the first thing you learn. Huh? If he don't know that, the first day I went home and told my husband I was saved, I got, I said, oh, that's what that scripture means. Huh? <laughs> but you believe God anyway, huh? The devil is a liar. He, now my husband ain't gonna stay like this. He getting saved, huh? This nonsense. I remember when uh, I went to, uh, we had gone to a church. We were going to Brethren then, and I remember dragging him to church, you know, because the pastor said, "Oh, you gotta get your husband to church." He gonna get saved. He gonna get saved. So I dragged him to church. He went up there to the altar. When we got in the car, he said, "Are you happy now?" And I said, "You devil." So I said, "Yeah, let's go to lunch." I always take my devils to lunch. Make them pay. <laughs> but we were sitting there, and it disturbed me to hear that, you know, because I've. Instead of listening to God and just continuing to pray, I believe the preacher. Nothing wrong with it, but I had my hopes up, you know, in the flesh. You don't live by sight, amen, or by faith. While we were sitting there at lunch, and I was, I said, God, did he get saved or didn't he get saved? What, what happened? And so he was sitting there across from me at lunch, 
And I think we had ordered our potatoes. He always put ketchup on everything, you know, shaking the ketchup up. So he took the ketchup, was messing with it, and shook it. And it flew up in the air, and he was covered in ketchup, sitting right there. At the, and the, Jesus said to me, he said, that's my blood. He said, covers him. He said, he will be saved. You know what I mean? So... <laughs> He was he was upset about. He said, "How did I do that?" I said, "You didn't do that." <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? God will help you, folks. He cannot deny Himself. If He tells you something, He will do it. He will do what He says He's going to do. And if He says He's going to fight for you, He'll fight for you. And if you still doubt him, to do like he did Barack. He sh- let him watch everything, and that brother did not lift a finger to hit nobody and do nothing. But he still saw the salvation of the Lord. God can't deny himself. I want to see God's salvation, but I want to be right in the middle of things. You understand me? Doing the best I can to, to help and do what God wants me to do in these things. So I'm happy about serving God. Amen. Praise God. Father, thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you, Lord, for exhorting your people. We're strong in you. We're mighty and fearless people, Lord. We understand what you have called us here to do. And we're not afraid. If God is for us, who shall be against us? Nobody. A horde of devils is not enough to deter us from following you, God. So we thank you, we bless you, and we praise you for this time that we've had for you. It is a blessing, Lord, and it is an honor to serve you. We thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen, and praise God. If anybody needs prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you. Change your life.